Message Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Aaron, I'm glad you got out of that Halloween costume. I know that you wore it some extra time since our last show because it was so great. But I'm just glad we're moving into Thanksgiving, November 15th, another episode of Bass Edge Radio. That's right, episode 268, moving into the latter part of hunting season and the beginning part of some awesome bass fishing for fall anglers. How about it? Indeed. Uh, yeah, I got to talk a little bit about that Halloween costume because it was just phenomenal i was dressed up as uh my favorite professional angler kurt dove in a speedo <laughs> and i rocked it dude i mean i did but it was just way too confusing for everybody because i constantly was asking to have signed skin and autographs and everything else so but uh no so i digress but yeah great time of year hunting season halloween going into thanksgiving before you know it, it'll be christmas and uh speaking of christmas keep in mind megaware keelguard our partners dating all the way back to 2000 2006 here on Bass Edge. Be sure to check out all of their fantastic products like the Skate Guard, the Kill Protector that uh, you can actually put on yourself. And of course, one of my favorites is that Flex Step. But uh, that time of year, Kurt, you wouldn't think we would already be looking at uh, the classic field is set. New tournament schedules have been released. I know we've gotten ours. I'm kind of anxious. You've been kind of perusing uh, what you're going to be doing next year? You bet. Perusing and trying to dial it in. A lot of stuff out there already. Of course, the classic field set. It seems like all the schedules are out there. People are getting schedules out earlier and earlier. The uh, Central Elites, your tournament schedule's out there already, so I know you're prepping up. And again, for anglers, you know, fishing full-time, this is that kind of what they call silly season. It's who's back on for next year, who's going forward with the financial support that's so important to make this sport happen. Just lots of office work, but still getting out there, doing some guiding for me and enjoying the uh, cool weather of the fall here in South Texas. So it's been a busy time of year, but uh, as you mentioned, just a minute ago, holidays are coming up. Thanksgiving's going to be going on. Probably a lot of people listening to the show, maybe traveling to their uh, family's house to uh, enjoy some Thanksgiving as well. But um, Christmas is going to come short after. So um, lots of stuff going on this time of year and it's exciting. We're going to see what all happens. We'll know by the end of December where 2018 is coming. <laughs> yeah, it's always a fun time of year. It creates a little bit of anxiety. Well, I shouldn't say a little bit. It probably creates a lot of anxiety for certain anglers and that type of stuff. But uh, speaking of a lot of stuff going on, we have a lot of stuff going on in this episode, and I am anxious to bring our next ProtectTheHarvest.com tackle tip. It's going to be a good one. This episode's ProtectTheHarvest.com tackle tip with Brandon Palinick. Hey, everyone. I wanted to give you my few tips on how to select a drop shot weight, and there's many styles out there. You've really got three styles, teardrop, the long uh, cylinder shape, and then kind of a round cannonball shape. And for me, it's all about the surface area of the weight. If I'm fishing a very bare bottom, I want the most surface area possible, so possibly the round style or the teardrop style. If I'm fishing a lot of vegetation where sensitivity is not as important, but I want the weight to be able to come through freely, then the cylinder style is going to be more of your style of weight that you want. So just keep that in mind. The more sensitivity you want, the more surface area, and the less 
snag that you want, the more cylinder style you want. Thanks, Brandon. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine Products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and Marine Products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Fishing Boats is now the official boat of Bass Edge Radio. Be sure to check out the Nitro Z-Series Performance Fishing Boats. The 2017 lineup features five boats ranging from 17.4 up to 21 foot 2 inches. Two new models for 2017 include the Nitro Z-17, our entry-level bass boat at 17 foot 4 inches and rated for 115 horsepower. The flagship of the Nitro lineup, the Nitro Z-21 at 21.2 in length. Its performance and fishability is unmatched. Designed with input from top elite pros like KVD, Edwin Evers, Rick Clun, and Ott Defoe. Nitro Performance Fishing Boats. Champions aren't born, they're made. Kurt, I understand you're going to be heading on a little vacay time, maybe you and Rhonda? No? That's right. That's right. Actually, kind of knocking this uh, episode out just a tad earlier than normal because I am going out of town because I have been married 15 years. So, Congratulations. Rhonda should yeah. get some kind of award or tax credits or something for that. <laughs> Sign me up for all of those, please. <laughs> that was great. But uh, yeah, so Rhonda and I, my wife, we're going to be heading out and uh, taking some time. You know, we're going to just kind of head out into the wild blue yonder for about 10 days. And it should be exciting and, and looking forward to just kind of getting away. It's not often enough. You know, one of the questions we ask some of the pros is, when was your last vacation? They're like, Most what? Them- Can you translate what that even means? <laughs> That's exactly right. So um, this is going to be a good one for us. And we banked 15 years together to get this one. So we're excited about it. And we're going to be having a lot of fun and enjoying some warm weather. But um, I'm excited for when I get back from vacation. You know, there's a lot of things that's going to be um, finalizing. And that's the Elite Series field for 2018, the FLW field for 2018. There's a lot of things that are going to be happening, Aaron. And it looks like there's going to be unprecedented sign up. That's what I was going to say. Uh, Evidently, the word on the street is obviously the FLW field is going to fill up quickly. It appears that a lot of people are going to be making the leap from the opens up into the elites. Yeah, maybe the most that's ever come from the Bassmaster Opens into the Elite Series. Preliminarily, it's looking like 14 anglers are going to accept the bid. That's 14 out of the possible 15. And uh, what that does, Aaron, it hurts guys that have made careers in this sport and kind of, I know that there's differing opinions. You know, if you can't hang, you can't hang. You know, you hear that deal all the time. But, I mean, you know, it's not like you make the Elite Series or you qualify for the FLW Tour and then all of a sudden you're making, you know, $150,000 a year. That just ain't the way it happens. What it means is you've got a scratch claw to just get enough funds to make it worth your while to go play this game. And the organizations are the ones that are that are making the dime, and I can't fault them for that. But at the same time, it's tough for the guys that don't get to continue in this passion that they've been pursuing in this career that they've been making. So it's it's a tough deal. I'm not sure what the right answer is. I think part of it goes back to um, an earlier discussion that we 
we had uh, referring to the uh, kind of get together you had, uh, I guess it was probably four or five weeks ago now that you had with uh, the folks down at MLF talking about where is the sport going? What is the sport trying to do? It's not just about this organization or that organization, but the whole process of where it's heading. It's an interesting time. Obviously, the economy is seems to be doing really well, and that's why a lot of these anglers are able to make this jump and push their financials to the limit in a lot of respects because uh, it's their chance. You know, they they feel like it's this is my chance to go fish the Elite Series or this is my chance to go fish the FLW Tour, and uh, you got to make hay while it's growing. So, well, that, yeah, that's- and and you know what I've seen, Kurt too, and you have as well. We're at the same age. We're in our mid-40s now. And, you know, it goes through cycles, right? It seems like the economy does well and then the sport grows and the tournament organizations, yes. you know, make decisions based upon current premise of financials. But then in the in the slim times, they're begging people to, yes. to kind of get back involved. So uh, kind of frustrating, but, you know, that's kind of how the capitalistic society works. So we're definitely going to spend some more time on that, I think, later in the cold season when we don't have really any good fishing but stuff to talk about. We'll definitely do that. And it'll be interesting once we get into uh, our December shows and um, we'll break all that stuff down and look forward to it. But right now, we are going to get a desert angler breaking down some fishing for us on this episode of Bass Edge in our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Hey, you got professional angler David Mullins. This is the SLW Tour Pro Bradley Hallman. I'm professional angler John Carr. Bass Mass Elite Series Angler. Stephen Baby, Cliff Crochet. This is Bass Elite Angler Chris Lane. This is Bass University Pro Pete Gluzak on Bass Edge Radio. We'll be right back. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. This Arizona angler is making his way to his third classic at Lake Harkwell in 2018. And widely known, he is a fantastic finesse angler and typically shows out on northern and southwest fisheries. A big bass edge welcome to BASS elite angler Josh Bertrand. Thanks for taking time to be on the show, Josh. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's an awesome show. I love listening and uh, happy to be a part of it this week. Well, Josh, congratulations on making your third Bassmaster Classic coming up in 2018. And obviously, this is going to be your third Classic in just five years on tour. Do you feel like you're getting into a groove out there? You know, uh, it's a good question. It's funny, you know, the five years have just flown by. It feels like yesterday when I was just starting out. And, you know, the longer I do it, I know that I learn more. Every year I become a better angler. At the same time, I learned that there's a lot more to learn. You know, uh, it's amazing how much there is out there that needs to be learned and picked up. And I know for sure I'm becoming a better angler as far as just how to manage practice and manage the tournament and all that. That's definitely coming along. But like I said, at the same time, yeah, my eyes get open more and more every tournament. It's like, I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. You know, so uh, <laughs> it's a never-ending process. But I've gotten a lot of good experience. I've been able to learn from a lot of great fishermen that are out there that have been cool to help me out and still trying to learn as much as possible. 
possible. I wouldn't say I've been in a, or, you know, getting into a groove, but it, it gets a little bit easier every year for sure. That's good to hear. I, I feel like you are, man. I've been out there a long time. I'm yet to hit my classic yet, but uh, it's coming. It's coming, dude. And, and uh, oh, congrats yeah, to you. Yeah, congrats to you for hitting that third one. That's going to make you obviously feel more comfortable out there and, and put you in position for that big win that I know you're looking for. And uh, I really think that you're going to get. Josh, it was good seeing you down there at the U.S. Open on Lake Mead a couple weeks back, man. I want to chat about that event really quickly. Legendary event with legendary history, record numbers in 2017. You had a great finish, 11th place, always, as I said earlier, strong in those southwest region where you grew up on those desert lakes. Tell us a little bit about how they developed your fishing traits. They are so diverse, and it's amazing to me. I haven't been able to spend a lot of time on those desert lakes. This is my first time at Mead. I've been to Havasu before, but very diverse fisheries. Tell us a little bit about how they developed your fishing traits. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it was great to see you there also, Kurt, and, uh, you know, it's a super fun tournament. And Mead, it's an incredible lake. You know, it's not known for having big fish, but like you said, it's got so much to offer, first and foremost, because it's got largemouth and smallmouth, and a lot of our lakes out here have that. You know, uh, we've got largemouth, smallmouth. If you go into California, there are a lot of spotted bass, and, you know, if you just take, you mentioned Mead and Havasu, let's take Havasu, for example. You've got a river, so, you know, you can uh, you can work on your river fishing skills. It's got a ton of grass and shallow water cover in the river, and then you get out to the main lake, and it's a lot more of your typical deep, clear desert lake structure fishing, um, and a lot of our lakes have that. Mead uh, currently, you know, is chock full of shallow cover. You know, that lake was at a record low uh, a year or two ago, and then this year it's, it's come up about 10 feet, and it flooded a lot of the different cover that was up on the bank growing for those couple of years when the water was really low. So it's a unique place to grow up fishing, and it certainly, you know, Growing up kind of here in the desert, I didn't get to do a lot of the tidal water fishing, and we only have certain types of grass. Like, we don't have any hydrilla in the southwest, and hydrilla is kind of the prominent grass that you fish when you go to the southeast and other parts right. of the country. So right. there are definitely some areas where you don't get practice in fishing out here, but you fish a lot of highly pressured waters. You know, the need is giant, but, um, you know, a lot of our other lakes aren't so big. So it's an interesting place to grow up fishing, and, you know, I kind of grew up with a drop shot rod in my hand but at the same time to separate yourself a lot of times on these lakes you've got to be able to take a power fishing approach and be willing to go for less bites you know we saw it in the open this week a lot of checks got cut drop shotting and doing stuff like that and that's how i caught the majority of my fish and a lot of tournaments are won that way out here but at the same time sometimes it's the guys that have the guts to put the drop shot rod down and pick up a flipping stick or a chatterbait or a spinnerbait or something like that and fish for five bites all day they're able to find those bigger fish and uh you know that's one thing that i've also tried to do a lot fishing out here in the southwest is is not be afraid to power fish even if the situation doesn't 100 percent dictate it because you know there aren't as many people doing it and a lot of times that's how you can get the bigger bites well kind of in reverse perspective there josh you know now that you've been able to have such a vast experience really all over the country can you explain some of those things that you've learned on the desert lakes that have worked well for you taking them out east and maybe some things you've had to grow into in order to be able to compete and quite honestly succeed on the elite series yeah you know it's amazing how uh, I think it's kind of a little bit of a misconception that a lot of people out here think, you know, hey, I can catch bass in the desert. 
I can catch a bass anywhere. And I guess sometimes that's true, but at the same time, it's also not true because everywhere you go, bass are different. And I'm sure you got you got some fish all over the country. You talk with people who fish all over the country, and uh, man, it's different everywhere you go. So it's it's good to be able to take little nuggets and things from where you grew up fishing and be able to apply them elsewhere. But for me, when I first started traveling back east, you know, fishing when I was 19, 20 years old, I was comfortable on my home lakes, and I would try to associate the different lakes I went to to my home lakes. And uh, that was actually, it didn't help me at all. It made things more difficult because the lakes are just totally different. They set up differently. And sometimes it's the smallest little wrinkle, like uh, fishing in the Ozarks, for example. Uh, you take Table Rock Lake. It's a deep, clear lake, largemouth spotted bass spots. That should be right up a western angler's alley, you would think. But what that lake has is a crazy, crazy amount of deep timber. And we have some wood in the water in our lakes out here, but the trees are very different. They're not big, giant cedar trees and pole timber like that, that completely changes the dynamic of how the fish set up and the way they act. And uh, the first couple times I went to Table Rock, you know, I tried to fish it like a western lake and it didn't work out. I had to learn how to embrace the fact that the lakes are totally different. Even though the water is clear and the same species of fish live there, they behave differently. And I think a lot of it is because of that timber. And uh, it was it was really helpful. And I've done well the last few times because I haven't been trying to associate it with fishing back home. But, you know, as far as becoming really confident with techniques and stuff like that, I mean, I remember Cliff Perch. He's one of my travel buddies, one of my roommates, and he's such a, a good fisherman, one of the best fishermen on the planet as far as I'm concerned. And uh, he, you know, he grew up awesome. fishing out here. You guys know how good he is. He told me, he's like, you know, we were at his first northern tournament I ever fished. I know Kurt was there. It was the uh, 2013 Elite Series at St. Lawrence River. And he just, you know, to give me some confidence, I had never fished St. Lawrence River. I had never fished that region. But just to give me some confidence, he was like, hey, man, these guys are all good. They all know how to drop shot, but they haven't drop shotted as much as you. You know, and it it just kind of gave me some confidence, like, you know, okay, you've drop shotted your whole life, embrace it and use the little subtleties and stuff that you've learned out west and try to apply them when you can on this fishery. And it helped me a ton. It just helped me, you know, it's like, hey, I know how to drop shot. I can drop shot with anyone. And that's all it's going to take this week. The, the fish may be set up differently and, you know, it's a different fishery, but I'm drop shot and I can do that. So uh, stuff like that, you know, it's the same thing if you grow up in the southeast, you know, you watch a guy like Randall Tharp who it doesn't matter where you put him if there's shallow vegetation that dude is gonna get into his comfort zone and he's gonna kill him because he knows that he's really good at that being able to you know maybe have a strength and knowing how to utilize it no matter where you're from there's always something that you do you know if you grow up in alabama or tennessee and you fish tennessee river lakes a lot you know you're probably going to be a good offshore ledge fisherman you know whatever it is having the strength and being able to utilize it is probably the best thing you can take from being from whatever region you're from. Right. Let's talk about that a little bit more. Obviously, drop shotting, one of your strengths. You're a guide in Arizona. Let's talk about that a little bit. What lakes you typically are guiding on and what types of experiences your clientele can expect during this kind of late fall seasonal fishing? Yeah, you know, uh, I love guiding. I've been doing it since I was 18. It's cool because it's been able to help me get a lot of extra time on the water over the years. And uh, you see what the fish do season to season and stuff like that. And uh, a lot of my clients... I get some very serious fishermen that are looking to work on techniques and stuff. A lot of times I get clients that just want to go out and have a good time and catch fish. 
So you've got to try to really pay attention to what's going on season to season. And as we get into the late fall, it's amazing. It seems like fall just started and we're already almost through it. But, um, uh, you know, I had fish any fall tournaments and then last week on me, the water was already in the high 60s. I'm like, dang, where'd the fall go? But late fall is a pretty fun time of year. I don't know about you guys, but I love fishing for schooling fish. It's a time of year when the fish, they school up like crazy. And, uh, you know, they're feeding before the winter hits and, uh, Gosh, it's fun to fish for fish that are grouped up because when you hit the mother load, you hit the mother load. You can catch fish after fish, you know, and it, I hate to hunt and peck. You know, that's one thing. I, I really don't like to hunt and peck and catch one every five hours or, you know, catch one every hour right. or something like that. I love to fish for a school, and um, it's perfect this time of year. The fish, you know, I think a lot of times they start to go really deep this time of year. You know, you can still catch some fish up shallow, but they love to get into the creek channels, and they love to follow the shad out deep and out west, we catch them, you know, 40, 50, 60 feet this time of year on a lot of different hardware, different types of spoons and drop shot and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, you'll still catch some occasional schoolers up shallow, but this is when I start to look really deep. When you talk about that uh, a little bit, you talked about, you know, fishing generally vertically, it sounded like in those techniques. Is that something that you're concentrating on in this seasonal pattern? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's just a lot more precise. And when you're searching for them, the great way to find them is to cast around and, you know, fish that way. But I like to utilize my electronics and try to get on the fish vertically and see what I catch before I actually try to catch it. You know, I think if you're you're going to be fishing in deep water like that. Fishing vertical is generally the way to go. Like I said, sometimes a jigging spoon or drop shot, those are the most effective ways to catch them. At what depth do you feel like you lose the ability to really cast and retrieve? You know, I know that for several guys, I know Aaron at Table Rock, you guys catch them super deep like that. At Lake the Ozarks, they kind of generally stay a little bit more shallow and bull shoals, they get crazy deep. And obviously it, it has all to do with different topography and, and uh, geographic design of, of the lakes around the country. But Josh, where do you feel like you lose the ability to cast and retrieve to catch fish at X depth when you have to really rely on that vertical presentation and explain why you believe that that happens? That's a great question. You know, uh, talking to a Western guy, I don't know if there is a limit. You know, it's funny that once we get into the late fall and winter out here all the way up to Northern California, Guys will cast a one-ounce football jig, and uh, they'll drag that thing on the bottom at 40, 50 foot. Um, <laughs> you know, so that's not something that you're going to do around the country, but there are situations where that's a legitimate thing, man. I mean, there have been a lot of tournaments won on Shasta and Oroville, lakes like that. Even some of our lakes in the southwest, guys dragging a football jig in 50 feet of water. And you don't, obviously, you know, and things become a little more difficult, you know, it's really hard to hard to kind of feel. Your, your bites almost are like mush. You never feel a tick or a tap or a pop when you're when you're dragging a bait down that deep. And one other interesting thing is even the way that fish show up on your electronics. No matter how right. big your electronics are, fish don't look like, you know, you idle over a ledge on Kentucky Lake and it's full of fish in 18, 20 feet of water. And you see these big, beautiful dots or arches, you know, depending on whether you're looking at sonar or uh, some type of down or clear imaging. But for fishing that deep, the fish, I mean, they don't look like much down there in 50 foot. You know, a lot of times I'll, I'll go over a school of, uh, a huge school of fish. I won't know it's a huge school, but I'll see one fish and it doesn't even look that big. And it's like, well, that's worth investigating because a lot of times they're either stuck so tight to the bottom or it's just not reading it quite as well because they're so deep and you catch one and then all of a sudden the screen blows up. So it's different, but, you know, I'd say as a whole, you know, I'd rather, if I get much deeper than 30 feet, I like to start fishing vertically, but 
you know, sometimes we'll search in the wintertime. We'll be out on a deep flat or something like that, and I'll cast around like a blade bait or something like that. And I'll cast it out there in 40, 50 feet and work it back to the boat when I'm trying to relocate or locate a school of fish. But as a whole, probably deeper than 30, 40 feet. I'd rather be vertical. Awesome. All right, guys, let's take a quick break. We're going to get more into this late fall fishing with BASS elite angler Josh Pertrand right after these messages. Sign up to become an O'Reilly O Rewards member today and start earning instantly. O Rewards members earn $5 back for every $150 they spend, so if you haven't become a member yet, what are you waiting for? It's fast, easy, and free. O Rewards, it's your road to exclusive offers only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. See store for details. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Bass Edge Radio, presented in part by Power Pole Shallow Water Anchors, returns with Bassmaster Elite Series Nitro Pro Josh Bertrand and our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil high-performance marine products from real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements. Visit them at lucasoil.com. It works. Hey, Josh, let's tackle some more of that great information we were discussing before the break. You talked about some blade baits. Let's go into a little in-depth about how you like to set up for a blade bait and what is it you're really looking for conditionally that's going to put that technique to use for you. It's a technique that, you know, doesn't get a ton of play on the tours through the year. And I think it's mainly because of the, the time of year that you use it. You know, you don't hear many major tournaments being won on it. And it's because most of the tournaments on the tours are between February and September. So, you know, this is a technique that I use, like, basically November through January. And it's really effective, but um, it's super seasonal. You know, I typically use it when the bass are deeper than 20 or 30 feet and not super aggressive. You know, you cast it out, let it get to the bottom, and then you either rip it up or you, you just give it a little pull. And just let that thing kind of pulsate and then let it fall again. The harder you rip it up, the farther you rip it up, you're more likely to let it foul up. So I fish it kind of in a subtle way with this a, a little pull up and let it fall down, pull up and let it fall down. It's a good way to get those inactive fish that are on the bottom to bite, and it's a really good way to search and find the fish. You know, uh, one tournament last year that we fished was our first tournament of the year, uh, Lake Cherokee, and it was a cold water, deep water tournament. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. It was uh, really, really cold, and the fish were not ultra aggressive and ended up being uh, fishing vertically with a Berkeley Gulf minnow just kind of fished it on a big head vertically like a lot of guys did. That's how I caught my fish in the tournament, and it was super effective, but I found those fish with a blade bait. And uh, the blade bait allowed me to cover water and cast rather than have to idle around everywhere and try to find them on my electronics. And when they're really tight to the bottom, you know, a lot of times, I'm sure you guys have seen it in the late fall and in the winter, you catch a fish and it actually has mud on its belly. I've got some crazy photos of right. fish that just lay down in the mud. And, uh, man, when they're laying down in the mud in 40 feet, they're pretty hard to see on the grass. So uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can't see them a lot of times. But you can catch them on a blade bait, and that will tell you they're there. How about your rod and reel setup, line, that kind of stuff? Is it something where you like a limber rod, like a cranking rod, or something a little bit more stiffer, like a spinner bait rod? And what kind of line are you utilizing, or what kind of dictates those setups for you? Yeah, you know, on that particular bait, I usually use the bait cast rod. And um, it's, it's generally about a 7-foot medium heavy. I like the Abu Garcia villain, and I throw it on 12-pound fluorocarbon. 
And uh, a high-speed gear ratio reel, just because, you know, you're down in that deep water when your cast is over, you want that thing back in the boat. You don't want to have to be cranking it up forever. If you, if you use a high-speed reel, you know, and all day long you're fishing in 50 foot, you know, if you get your bait in five seconds faster every cast, well, you've earned yourself an extra 20 casts by the end of the day. So uh, not a big thing, but, you know, high-speed gear ratio reel. And like I said, uh, that medium heavy, uh, you know, you don't want to use something insanely heavy that's going to rip the hooks out of their mouth. But if you made a cast and your bait's out there, say, 60, 80 feet on the cast, and it's down there 40 feet deep, you have so much line out that you can't have too limber of a rod because you do have to bury those hooks in the fish when they bite. That's good advice right there. And, you know, Josh, speaking along those same lines, I think most of us would agree that if you were to stereotype drop shotting, you know, when you shut your nitro boat down, you think you're going to be setting in the depths, right, and, and looking over them. But a technique that seems to be gaining more popularity but perhaps not talked about a lot is kind of that shallow water drop shotting. Can you explain some of the differences and adjustments that you're making from deep water drop shotting to kind of the shallow style of drop shotting? Yeah, it's amazing how, you know, people are learning about that and it's uh, so effective in a lot of situations. It's something that I'll go to just when the fishing's tough, you know. I mean, when it's hard to get a bite doing other stuff, a drop shot to me is the ultimate way to trick a fish into biting who doesn't want to bite. And, you know, some of the basic things that you can do to make your drop shot rig better for the shallow water would be one thing, shortening the leader. You know, uh, it's a whole lot easier to pitch around a six or eight inch leader than it is a two foot leader. You know, you're going to be much more accurate and you can slide it whether you're fishing docks or brush or holes in the grass. You can cast much more accurately with that short leader. If you're not in ultra clear water, you know, generally the fish hold tight to either the bottom or the cover up shallow and you don't want your bait two feet from the bottom, you know, so you want a, a short leader's big, um, I don't go with an ultra lightweight in shallow water either for the same reason. A lot of times I'll even use like a three eighths ounce weight, which I a lot of times use a quarter or three sixteenths if I'm drop shotting deeper. I'll go with that heavier weight for more casting control and to be able to, you know, you get that that weight, say, say you're trying to fish a dock pole or something, you know, you get that weight on the bottom of the dock, you can keep it there and shake it much easier and keep it in that one spot with a heavier weight. So those little tweaks help a lot. Sometimes I'll still use a spinning rod. Sometimes I'll use a bait caster. You know, I like a not too long of a rod, usually a seven foot, a medium heavy is a good action. You've got to be careful. If you use light wire hooks doing this, you can't use too heavy of a rod or you'll bend that hook out when you hook a big fish. So I'll use, instead of a super light wire hook, I'll go to something a little more medium wire, and that seems to help. Also, you know, not using the ultra light wire deep drop shot hooks that you'd use if you're going to go with a bait cast rod because you don't want to straighten those hooks out. Now, you stuffing that hook a little bit harder into the fish, whereas, you know, a lot of times when I've seen, you know, your deep drop shotting, you're kind of pulling into the fish, you know, in this shallow water situation. Are you setting the hook? more than pulling into the fish or is it generally the same method yeah good question Kurt you know for me I'll use like an extra wide gap hook when I'm doing this and you can set the hook on it it's no different than flipping or something like that you know if you're using that style of a hook an extra wide gap where you're rigging that bait we list you can set the hook so uh, that's definitely important to know you know if you're not using that nose hook drop shot style hook that's when you're going to be just reeling into the fish using drop shot hook out deep if you're up shallow and you've got an extra wide gap hook or a straight shank hook, you can 
flat out said it when you get a bite and I know that's what a lot of people like to do myself included one other quick question before we go to our O'Reilly Auto Parts listener question segment and that is you know kind of off season working new techniques or tweaking ones that you currently use and have confidence in how do you look for those you know are you looking at studying what other anglers have had success for in the past year you know as far as tournament success and how do you add that into your arsenal for the future is that something that you really feel like you've got to get out there and fix it or do you just see a situation where hey this might be the deal and then you just use it on the fly how do you respond to that and how do you work those new techniques into your system that's a good question and one thing i love about living in arizona is i can fish all winter long and practice techniques that either i want to get better at or try new stuff there have been a lot of bass that i've caught in tournaments that honestly the first bass i've ever caught on a specific date and that might come from one of your travel buddies saying, hey, dude, this is working really good. You know, you might not have time to, to try it out. Or, you know, something that you just think might work, you know. And a lot of times I'll just go on a Bass Pro Shops website and just look through baits and, and look for something that is different that might be good. And, you know, four out of five times they're flops, you know, depending on where you're using. But sure. It's important to go out. And, you know, one thing I, I find when you're starting to try a new technique or a new bait, you can get bit on it, but there's a learning curve to figure out on actually putting those fish in the boat because every technique you use, the fish bite it a little bit differently. You know, you're getting your rod and reel set up perfect for you might take it out and have it on 15 pound test and realize oh man it just doesn't have the right action with 15 you need to throw this on 10 to get it fit or you know oh this thing really seems to ball up on the hook when i'm using this type of hook and you lose a lot of fish i need to go to this type of hook and being able to go out and practice and try those new techniques on your own and getting time on the water with them is going to help you figure that stuff out and it's going to help a lot as far as actually you know between getting a bite and putting that fish in the boat you'll be dialed in by the time the tournament rolls around you know this is the hook i need to use this is the line i need to use this is how i need to set the hook i should be able to land most of the fish compared to you know going out for the first time in the tournament not having the right setup you hook that five pounder right you know, he comes out. <laughs> yeah, not the situation you want to be in. Good that you got the bite, but sure. uh, not good you missed the fish because you're probably not going to get that one to totally. eat again. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, good stuff. Hey, Josh, it's time for our listener question segment brought to us by O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. In every Bass Edge episode, we give away an O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card to a question that was sent in from a listener and answered by our featured angler. So here is today's question, and it's brought to us from Seth Mosley. And Seth asks, what's the best weight for jigs in clear water, light for slow fall or heavy? It's a great question. You know, and when you're fishing jigs in clear water, I think the most important thing you need to uh, keep in mind is the season that you're in. You know, there are a few times where you do kind of want to slow or fall if you're fishing ultra, ultra cold water and you're fishing shallow or, you know, sometimes around the spawn. But as a whole, I would say I generally go a little heavier in the clear water. You know, a lot of times, you know, the fish in that clear water, you can get a reaction out of them out of having a a faster fall. And, uh, for example, one situation I like a heavy jig is, you know, if I'm fishing a football jig and I'm dragging it down through rocks and mud and stuff like that, in that clear water, you know, that heavier jig kicks up a lot more dust and stuff on the bottom, and it looks like a crawfish scurrying around on the bottom compared to, you know, say just for example, a three-quarter ounce 
football jig compared to a 3A sounds jig, it's going to make a lot more disturbance as you're just simply dragging it. And it looks more real to me. And I think it gets more bites. Awesome stuff right there. Thanks for answering that one, Josh. And Seth, we appreciate your support and sending in that question to Bass Edge Radio. Please remember to contact us through our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or website, BassEdge.com, or shoot us an email, support at BassEdge.com, to receive your O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. And just like Seth, and when he sends in that uh, address for us to send that to, I want to remind all Bass Edge listeners, keep sending in those questions to those very same social media pages, website, or certainly email us, and your question could be chosen as the next one to be answered for that O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. Josh, once again, a pleasure having you here with us on Bass Edge Radio. Any closing thoughts for uh, Bass Edge listeners as we shut this down? Again, yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on. You guys have an awesome, awesome show here, and uh, it's so informative. Yeah, I would just say, uh, you know, to everyone out there, like we talked about earlier, I guess that there's one thing that has really helped me, you know, traveling around to different fisheries is taking the techniques you learn back home and not being afraid to use them, but also not getting totally tied to them. Like we talked about earlier, bass are different everywhere you go, and uh, sometimes you have to adjust and fish the way those fish want to be fished wherever you're at. That's good stuff. Hey, Josh, and where can we find your information on your guide site? And I'm assuming if I want to come down and it's snowing 12 inches deep where I live that I want to get to Phoenix and enjoy some good weather, give me some info on how do I get down there and go fishing with you. That's awesome. Well, yeah, thanks. Um, you know, you can contact me directly, uh, you know, either through Facebook or Instagram. You can go to my website, Josh Bertrand fishing.com and our guide service website is actually the arizona fishing guides.com so you could uh, get a hold of us any of those ways and uh, I'd, I'd love to get out there and, and do some desert fishing with you be awesome i can tell you my experiences out there have been tremendous and uh it's somewhere that every bass junkie needs to visit touches a lot of senses that we don't get to see in, in other parts of the country so it's, it's a cool place josh we're going to send you off with our last little segment here four last questions for you y'all ready for this let's go heck yeah <laughs> all right first question cardinals or diamondbacks diamondbacks for sure i uh, i'm a big baseball fan and the cardinals they've just been disappointing honestly <laughs> since i've lived out here so d-backs for sure they've got a great young team and i love watching them awesome and what's the next vacation you've got planned well my wife and i we had our first child uh, about exactly a year ago so our next vacation will be the first thing we've really done in a year and it's not going to be anything extravagant but <laughs> we are going to get a night or two away and uh, hopefully do some fishing she wants to go fishing so uh, i don't know where we're going to go but we need something we, we haven't done too much outside of uh work and take care of the baby for the last year awesome awesome that's something to look forward to now being a desert guy weather preferred above 100 or below 40 definitely above 100 my fingers don't work below 40 i can't tie a knot i can't even lip a bass so i'm pretty thin-blooded i uh, 100 above 100 good stuff and who is your hero and describe them in three words definitely uh you know my parents and grandparents you know they're they're just such hard workers they are for sure they they taught me work ethic for sure awesome stuff man well i appreciate you being with bass edge radio thanks again josh bass edge radio will return right after this message Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. 
You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard Keel Protectors. Kurt, I always like when we're able to have, you know, new, not necessarily new people to the sport by any means, but certainly new guests on the show. And Josh, three out of five classics, Western <laughs> angler, had just a lot of unique stories to kind of bring to light today. Yeah, I remember when Josh came out on the scene, you know, it was at Lake Louisville in an open event. And uh, I believe he finished second place in a fish off to uh, Brent Chapman to uh, qualify for the classic in that event. And and that was kind of his kickstart. And then he qualified for the uh, elite series. And it's been great for him ever since. You know, it's tough for a Western guy to make that transition. You've got to be a great angler. You've got to be a student of the game. From the questions that we asked him today and seeing what his answers were and how he facilitates his fishing game. It's apparent that he's got it going on, man. Um, I think he's going to be around for a long time. He'll continue to be a consistent classic qualifier as he has been. I mean, you know, he hasn't made it every year, but dude, three out of five is strong. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. strong. He's making some waves. Yeah, and uh, you know, I always think when we talk to our Western anglers, just the amount of miles. You guys drive so many miles anyway, right? But it just seems that mentally that that would just yeah. be grueling. <laughs> I think I think they're racking up as many miles on their vehicle as they are in the air. So it's a two-pronged approach. But what's that mean? you got to leave your goodies somewhere for a while, and then you're not on the water as much, or there's a lot more logistical stuff that's involved and cost to participate. So it makes it challenging, and I hope that the organizations will embrace this a little bit more strongly as a national sport. I mean, we talked about the U.S. Open in our last episode, again, a little bit in this episode with Josh, and those kinds of events show that the West needs and deserves a place in this whole national spotlight because right now it's not. You know, it's a Southeast-generated Midwest, and if we're going to take this thing to the next level, it's got to be all-encompassing in the U.S. Open. Again, to me, showed it this year and being out there and talking to some of those anglers and being a part of that programming has really opened my eyes into some additional insights of this industry for me personally. So um, it's great to have Josh on the show and, and all the Western anglers, and, and like I said, man, just props to those guys for making happen because it's it ain't easy in the southeastern lake based sport no doubt and uh speaking of embracing you know the sport and geographically out west we appreciate certainly kurt and i and all of us at bass edge you guys embracing us and some new developments coming out with social media that is the best place to stay on top of things and obviously at bassedge.com so in the meantime get your fix there until december 1st and uh i don't know maybe we can go get kurt to do a facebook live in his santa costume or something but in the meantime, so long, everybody. <laughs> we will see you December 1st with episode number 269. Have a good week. The Edge is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lowrance Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.